Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Investment advisory services offered through Pure Portfolios, a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese work for Pure Portfolios. Any opinions expressed by Nick and Aaron or any podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pure Portfolio. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. It should not be construed as legal or tax advice and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified attorney or tax professional. Clients of Pure Portfolios may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. This information is not an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. The information contained may have been compiled from third-party sources and is believed to be reliable. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. Tax season is upon us, so today we are going to be offering some advice, some insights, and some observations about what clients do during tax season, what you can do better, and help you get through the season. Make sure you listen to the whole thing because I'm going to talk about time-tested ways people light money on fire and punt stacks of their hard-earned money to Uncle Sam. Every single year, you can set your watch to it. Completely avoidable if you are checked in and optimizing the things that you can control. And if you're working with an advisor, you're not immune either because I've seen these same mistakes with prospective clients that come to us that are working with another advisor. So that's at the end. It might get a little rantish, but you should be able to take one or two tidbits and save money on your taxes. Yeah, in addition to that, we will have linked in the description. Since you said it earlier, it reminded me that we have a video about the portfolio management explainer video called, Are You Punting Cash to Uncle Sam? So you can take a look at that for some further insight to your personal portfolio. Okay, so April 15th is coming quickly. It's currently February 2022. So what is the order of operations that clients and people should go through when considering their investments and their taxes? Well, the first, if you have a taxable account, you are waiting for a 1099. And everybody wants their 1099 yesterday. Mm-hmm. CPAs want it now. Clients want it now. Every single year, they come out around the middle to the end of February. If they come out earlier, a lot of times they get corrected. So you don't want to jump the gun with the first version, send it to your CPA and have a corrected version come out because that creates a headache. Mm -hmm. So I know everyone wants to get a head start. And this is a great year to get a head start because the IRS is saying they're backlogged. It's going to be messed up. Everybody's dealing with labor issues and shortages and all that. So you're correct in wanting to get started early, but do not get eager beaver with the 1099. Most custodians will publish a finished version by the end of February, with the caveat. So if you work with a big archaic bank, you're probably gonna get your 1099 in the middle or the end of March. Can you imagine working at a custodian and every call that you get is, where's my 1099? They probably get a lot of those calls and they're, they're churning them out as fast as they possibly can. But again, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a lot of demand for custodial services at the end of the year. And our advice to people is don't wait till April 14th to start 
maxing out your IRA for 2021. Don't wait until the 11th hour because everyone else is busy too. And that's how stuff gets missed. It, it, it falls through the cracks or, or they just don't get to it. So make sure you're, you're starting early and communicating with your CPA because they're, they're busy too. Yeah. So with the order of operations, you start with the 1099s, of course, because we need those, right? And then you talked about not delaying because it just creates a mess for everyone, for you and your CPA. So make sure you're communicating with them. How about tax loss harvesting? That's something that we often talk with clients about through the whole year, but why is the beginning of the year so important? Yeah. So now is it, so if you, if you retired or you have a, a single stock position that's getting large and you're uncomfortable with that and you're looking to whittle down that stock, maybe you have a mutual fund that you've held for a while that you no longer want to own. The start of the new calendar year, 2022, would be a great opportunity to take a chunk, realize a chunk of gains today because you have the entire calendar year to chip away at that. Right. So just because you realize a gain, let's say it's 50,000 today, doesn't mean that's what your realized gain is at the end of 2022. Right. You, you have the whole year to sell a position or two that maybe is at a loss. And now your $50,000 gain is at 45,000. And that's something that, that we have advanced strategies to help people mitigate their uh, tax exposure and maximize their net after tax return. On the flip side, what I see a lot of people doing instead, take the same fund or single stock position that you're looking to unwind. They realize a gain in December 15th of 2022. There's you've nothing you time. can do. Yeah, it's it's really hard to chip away at that at that gain through portfolio management when you only have a couple weeks. So make sure if you're going to realize a gain, do it in the first quarter of 2022 to give yourself the best chance at reducing that over the course of the year. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of not waiting till the last minute, how about contribution limits um, and deadlines? I know you kind of briefly touched on it, but we often see people scrambling towards the end for everything, right? We are all procrastinators, but especially when it comes to contributions, you can continue to contribute for the previous year all the way up until you file your taxes to, for say a traditional IRA to get your deduction and for your Roth IRA, you can still contribute. So what advice Eric, do you have? Well, I'm going to ask you a question. What is the okay. limit for 2021 in a traditional IRA for someone who's under 50? So under 50 in 2021 and 2022, the IRS did not change the limits. Uh, 6,000 for those who are under the age of 50. If you are over 50, you've got a catch up contribution of an extra thousand dollars. So in total, you can contribute 7,000 between your Roth and your traditional IRA. Yes, so that's $7,000 total. You can't do 7,000 in a traditional IRA, 7,000 in a Roth, but you can split it, right? As long Correct. as you're under this, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a lot, of course, that always goes along with contribution limits. There's always a caveat of what's your income? Are you going to get the deduction based on your income? Can you even contribute directly to the Roth IRA? Are you going to do conversion after you've contributed to your IRA? So there's all sorts of things that come along with those questions. I feel like they're always loaded, but. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and back to the 1099. So I talked about the 1099 composite for the taxable account. Mm -hmm. If you are a retiree, 
there's a good chance you're taking money out of an IRA account, a retirement account. In that mm -hmm. case, you're going to get a 1099R, yeah. which shows every dollar that flows out of that IRA, that'll be taxable at your federal and or state level. So yeah. those are the two tax documents, the 1099 composite for taxable accounts, 1099R for qualified retirement accounts. Those will come out around the same time, but you're going to want both if you're retired and have both types of accounts. Yeah, and the 1099R is also going to be applicable to those, even if you're not retired, but if you have an inherited IRA um, and you're taking distributions from that every year, it's also another one to look out for because there's a lot of people who are not yet retired or of distribution age that do have those. Okay, let, let's talk about the fun stuff. Let's talk about how people take a blowtorch and just light cash on fire. Okay, everyone grab your popcorn. Nick's going to get after it. No, it's just like you see the same things over and over again. And look, everybody that's built wealth has expertise in some area. Like we're not we're not dealing with people that don't know what they're doing. They're they're very skilled at a certain career or niche or discipline or industry or what have you. They've done a really good job of building wealth. And it's even more baffling to me when I see these leaks with people that are working with advisors. And it's like this is just basic 101 stuff that that people year in and year out get wrong. And we talk about it a lot. I write about it a lot. You know, readers of our blog, our clients are probably sick of me talking about it. But this is a this is a systemic problem. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to outline really two areas that I see the biggest leaks. Really three. Three. Okay. The first and the most egregious is owning mutual funds in a non-retirement account. So in a taxable account, in a joint taxable account, mutual funds, I don't care if it's an index fund or an active fund, they saddle investors that own them with capital gains. Vanguard just got a ton of flack over this mm -hmm. because as the index rebalances, securities get sold at a gain, that gets passed through to all the shareholders of that fund. Now, a key misconception is some people think you need to actually go in and sell a mutual fund to get hit with a capital gain. I'm talking about getting hit with the capital gain, doing absolutely nothing. You're simply mm -hmm. existing. But on your 1099, you can set your watch to it. Everybody that owns these mutual funds gets hit with tens of thousands of, of, of realized capital gains that you then have to turn around and write a, a check to the feds on. Makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Yeah. I so, can't remember if it was in a video that you did or if it was just one that we, a portfolio that we were looking at for a prospective client, but there was one that was paying thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes through a mutual fund that they didn't even understand where the capital gain was coming from. Right. And, and, and Vanguard's a great company. They've, they've done more to lower the overall cost of investing for retail investors. I think they're a great company. But people get obsessed with the low fees and they don't factor in all these other areas. And mm -hmm. to me, the, the total cost of investing is what you're paying your advisor plus the cost of owning the assets. So a mutual fund has an internal expense ratio. Okay, so, so that's part two. Part three is taxes, which most people get wrong. Okay, mm -hmm. so you add all those up. Someone might think they're, they're doing a great job because they're saving money at Vanguard. Well, you add all those things up and their fees much higher than it seems. And I can tell you, we're getting more and more prospective clients coming from Vanguard wanting pure portfolios to unwind some of these leg 
some of these legacy fund holdings that are saddling them with capital gains. So how to fix this? Do not own mutual funds and taxable accounts. E ETFs, individual stocks, and individual bonds are, are much more tax efficient, okay? Much more cost efficient too, okay? The second so thing. I'll cut you off ahead. there first. So how do you feel then about mutual funds in a retirement account? I personally don't like mutual funds. I think they won't exist in five years. And if you look at what the big fund companies are doing that are traditionally mutual fund only shops, they're converting their mutual mm -hmm. funds into ETFs because that's, that's their way of conceding. Times have changed. Mutual funds have gone the way of the dodo bird. They're inferior in virtually every objective metric to, to, to exchange traded funds. And I, I think, you know, they can say one thing, but their actions speak louder than words. That said, they are firmly entrenched, especially on the 401k side. So I think retail investors have mostly got the memo where, where you see the mutual fund leak, if you will, is with, is with traditional advisors, non-fiduciary advisors, advisors that have been in the business for 30 plus years and are used to doing things a certain way. And then yeah. on the retirement side. So that's, that's where you, you're going to see these leaks. Okay. So what other areas are people lighting money on fire aside from mutual funds? Okay. So, so mutual funds is one. Two is targeting income centric strategies in a taxable account. Okay. And this is something that I still see quite a lot. It, it's really been more common the last couple of years, given the rate environment that we're currently in. So for some context, so a lot of investors are frustrated because rates are low. A lot of a lot of retirees use investment income to supplement their lifestyle. You can't really get that income anymore in bonds. Okay. And I'm talking in general term. A lot of investors have turned to dividend paying stocks. Nothing wrong with dividend paying strategies. Okay. They should be owned in retirement type of accounts, tax, tax advantage types of accounts, not in taxable accounts, because there's no way for a portfolio manager, an advisor, an investor to shelter dividend payments from taxes. They're, they're, as, as soon as they're paid, it doesn't matter if they're reinvested or you're taking the income out, they become taxable on day one that they're paid, okay? There, there's a cleaner way to do that. You can still love dividends, still live off dividend income, own it in a IRA for, or 401k or a Roth type of account. Yeah. Okay? The third leak, and this is completely controllable, having seven, eight, nine different taxable accounts. Okay. Scattered everywhere. You have to track down seven or eight or nine, 1099s. You have to give them all to your CPA. It's a freaking nightmare for your CPA. He or she probably doesn't want to fire you or, or, or probably won't fire you, but they probably want to fire you. And they probably have some four letter words they'd like to say to you. It's a complete headache. And, and, and think about how, how you're going to be as you get older. You want to simplify your life. Like if you just retire, you want to simplify everything by having eight or nine accounts, you're just making it a mess for everybody. So consolidate like accounts that goes for IRAs. If you have seven or eight IRAs and look, I'm throwing out the, the number seven or eight, that, that's not an outlier. Like, like we see this day in and day all out all the time. We just onboarded a client with nine different accounts. And so now we're consolidating like accounts down to three. And it's, I, I can tell you it's an absolute blessing. You can control it. It'll make your life so much better. And that doesn't even get into the portfolio management benefits, mm -hmm. knowing what you own, 
knowing your risk exposures, yada, yada. It's just, it's just a much cleaner way to do. Yeah. I find that when we do that for clients, their peace of mind and overall feeling about their personal financial situation, it's like a breath of fresh air to just see everything all together in one place. It's all consolidated. I mean, truly it feels better looking just at your total portfolio values. Cause rather than having three IRAs at a hundred thousand a piece, now you've got one at 300,000, just mentally feels better. But imagine then being 72 RMDs or your required minimum distributions start, and you've got to go to three different custodians to figure out how much out of all of your different IRAs that you own, how much you have to distribute to yourself. And it's going to be a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there. And then it's just a logistical nightmare. So just to recap, and then I have one more comment because I think people make a lot of assumptions when they work with an advisor. So one, don't own mutual funds in non-retirement accounts. Don't target income-centric strategies in taxable accounts. Consolidate your like accounts. It doesn't do you any good to have seven or eight accounts scattered about, okay? And the last thing I'll say, most of these offenses come from prospective clients that are working with an advisor, okay? So don't think because you've worked with an advisor for a long time or that you have a financial advisor that they're, they're, they're optimizing these things, especially if that person is working for an a non-fiduciary company, a publicly traded company, a Wall Street company, all of these advisors are basically glorified salespeople, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're compensated by bringing on additional clients, by bringing on assets, by selling people stuff. They're not yeah. compensated based on clients' outcomes or saving clients money on taxes. So, so just keep that in mind because again, the, these aren't clueless do-it-yourself investors that stumbled upon us and need help. These are, these are people seeking a second opinion that are already working with an advisor. Yeah. And some are clueless to what is going on and some have that kind of gut feeling that you feel like something is wrong. And so it's just very interesting to see all these different types of portfolios and situations and how they can so easily be improved. And then the last thing I'll say, another tax pitfall is folks that are invested in exotic things like, you know, we... We had a client that owned a oil and gas partnership that produced a K-1. The K-1 was always late. It wasn't ready till October. Every year, this person was frustrated with their taxes. So, so know that you can own alternative assets. You can own shares in private businesses and private real estate in startups and in angel investing, yada, yada. That, that, that's great. But understand, it's going to make your taxes more complex and it's going to be a night. It can be potentially a nightmare. So just keep that in mind. By having a complicated investment like that client did, how much of a marginal benefit do you think that they received given the nightmare that they had to go through on the tax side? That's a good question. And I don't know. Some, some people do things for odd reasons. Like in this case, this person, this client had a nephew working at the company. I, it was a private company, so I couldn't really see the financials. So, so I can't really answer that, but I can tell you what I did see was just frustration yeah. perpetually every single year as they were waiting and having to file extensions. And I mean, it was just a mess. So I'm just warning people, yeah, you can get into these other strategies, but no, it, it, it just makes everything more complicated. And again, when people retire, they're usually looking to make their life simpler so they can go out and enjoy the things that they want to do, not to mm -hmm. battle with their CPA about a late K-1. I and mean, when I'm retired, that, that's going to be the last thing on my mind. 
Well, when I'm retired, I, one, I'm going to have an advisor and two, I'm going to make things as simple as possible. You know, sometimes yeah. I think people think that complex equals brilliance and simple mm -hmm. equals stupid. And it's really the opposite. Like a truly brilliant person can make the complex simple. And that's, and that's what I think we all should be striving for. Mm, that's good. Okay. So speaking of lighting money on fire, I think this is where we segue into our bad actor of the week. Oh yeah. What's the... Uh... On the docket, Miss Aaron. On the docket this week, big headlines say that there was an ex-Edward Jones advisor who was suspended over discretion authorization. And this guy happens to be right in our backyard. So discretion authorization. So what does that even mean? So that means he did not have authority to trade his client accounts. Okay. So that. so in in the olden days, and there's some firms that still operate under this antiquated model where client waits for a broker to call, the broker's got some hot stock tip or hot fun tip, broker mm -hmm. runs the hot tip by the client, the client says yay or nay, okay? And by law, they have to execute then yeah. and there essentially, or same day. Right, so if, if I call Aaron and she's my client and I have a stock tip and Aaron says, okay, let's do it, I have to buy it right then and there, mm -hmm. okay? So one, th this guy did not have authority to trade and traded anyway. So he just skipped the whole call client, run stuff by them and then trade. Even when he did call the client to run stuff by them, he failed to make the trades that day. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's strike two. And the second thing is this firm that we alluded to, and I'm not gonna name names, but- yeah. Okay, okay, <laughs> it's, it's Edward Jones. They are non-fiduciaries. They make money in a variety of ways, including buying and selling of mutual funds. So this guy was swapping out fund A for fund B, and then maybe a month later, he'd swap out fund B for fund C. Each time he did that, he would generate a commission on the buy and the sell. Okay, mm -hmm. that, that pads, that lines his pockets to the detriment of the client. So now we're up to strike three. Didn't have authority to, to trade, traded anyway. Got authority, didn't trade. Swapping mutual funds in and out to generate commissions. Then the fourth thing, and I talked about this, this is what you get when you work with a non-fiduciary person where they get paid mm -hmm. nine different ways. They're not obvious. They're all below board. They're giving conflicted advice. They're trying to sell you stuff. I mean, half the time people that come from firms like this have no clue what they're paying. So in 2022, if you're still working under this model, call, check with you, buy the fund, execute the trade, it's completely obsolete. It's not efficient. It's not optimal. Most of these people just want you to do something do something, so they generate a commission for themselves. It's not about your outcome. It's about filling all the little compensation boxes that they have to fill to meet their year-end quota. I feel like you just dropped a lot of truth bombs that maybe some people were not ready to hear. Well... I tell you 90% of our clients, 85, 90% of our clients come from other advisors and they come from advisors like this. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really gratifying for us to rescue people from this type of arrangement because they're getting nickel and dimed and fleeced and they, and they don't even know it. And investing is hard enough. Planning is hard enough. Life is hard enough. Like in 2022, you need to be working with an independent registered investment advisor that's a fiduciary, that's professional, that's credentialed, that has a fee structure in line that reflects modern day 
finance. I mean, some mm-hmm. of these people that come to us are paying 3% a year and in a zero rate environment in a potentially lower future return environment. That's, that's an impossible hurdle to jump over yeah. every single year. Bet that most of those advisors and firms are not reporting net of fee performance. You're not seeing the underlying fees on your statements. It's just buried. And I had a conversation with a client who came from a firm like this and he just expressed frustration. Like I've got, I've been with Emperor, I think it was five years or so. And he's like, my portfolio really hasn't grown, but I've seen like a five or 6% return year over year. Like, I just don't understand, like, why has my account stayed at the same balance? And so, you know, we dug through all of that and it was really eye-opening, but it happens all the time. Yeah. And, and, and I've said this before, if, if you work with an advisor and you don't know what you're paying, that's a red flag. If you ask to see the breakdown of the fees and you get vague answers or they're not responsive or non-answers, red mm-hmm. flag. Like, like this is the greatest time on earth to be a investor mm-hmm. because you could do it yourself. You can use a hybrid model. You can get some advice and do it yourself. You could work with a professional credentialed advisor. You could go to wall street if you want to, like the world is your oyster. And I feel like people are just either set in their ways. They're getting bad information or they hire advisors for the wrong reasons. Like, like we just talked to a person that was evaluating advisors and the, the objective facts pointed to pure portfolios, but they ended up, and I'm not bitter, like, like this is just the weird stuff people anchor to. They, they went with another advisor because they, their in-laws had worked with them for years and the wife just felt comfortable. That's great. That's awesome. But, you know, I was looking at the fee structure, was looking at the investment approach, was looking at the other firm. And I'm like, I mean, you can see people making mistake based on stuff they find important and that's great i want people to be comfortable but the objective facts just didn't line up and it's just going to cost them thousands and thousands of dollars over time and again this might come off like i'm bitter or this is sour grapes it's not you know we talk to a lot of people we're growing you know when we're talking to prospects what what my goal is and i say this is just to give them information to make the best decision for their family if that's with pure great if that's with someone else someone else, that's great too. But I always feel better if they choose another fiduciary, another independent advisor that, mm-hmm. that, that you can make a, a great case for. Okay. That, yeah. that, that, that feels good. You know, I've rescued them from Edward Jones. I've rescued them from, from somewhere else. They didn't choose peer. They chose another friendly place. I get super worked up and anxious when, when they go from maybe Edward Jones to another Wall Street like firm, let's advisors, say, not, yeah. non-fiduciary firm. Like that, mm-hmm. that really bothers me because that's not an optimal decision. Well, you're taking one on one side, like you're taking one problem and just giving it a whole new face. I don't really know. So you're just swapping problem for problem. It's the it's same crap, movement. different toilet. That's a great way to say it. Okay. I think that this was a very insightful episode of Blind Spots. I had a lot of fun. Sorry, I feel like my heart is beating through my neck. I'm all fired up. <laughs> Need to go run a few laps around the building. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Blind Spots. We will see you in our next episode.